episode 310 i put 3010 in the thing hold on i gotta fix that anyways um thanks everybody for coming uh it's been a really fun um and long day um but uh thanks everybody for joining us um today we have atg acres joining us from oklahoma thanks a lot for coming right on thanks for having me looking forward to uh kicking it with you guys and talking uh talking growing and we also have wes engine how's it going wes Big up, Potent. Big up, AG, ATG, man. Hope you're doing well. Hope everyone out there is living their best life. Uh, yeah, man. Doing well. Hey, Thank uh, you for having me. I haven't seen you in like 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, been a minute. Had a great show last night. That was fun. That was yeah, if, great. You guys, if you guys aren't familiar, uh, in fact, I'll throw it up on the screen here. Um, be sure to check out Dat Grow Show. So it's D-A-T. Uh, or that smoke show i keep saying that grow show we should just make one called that grow show um we could <laughs> uh we'll change the name of the whole thing no i'm just kidding uh, but we have a bunch of great episodes um last uh, yesterday we had a whole bunch of great people on we had scotty real from do grows we had josh we had brendan rust we had monkey from high on homegrown we had Wes, myself um chad westport or no chad missed it last night uh hoda herb and a whole bunch of other people. Chad's usually there. We had a uh, Captain 420, a bunch of great people. Uh, the episode before that, we had Breeder Steve. So uh, definitely check that out if you guys are uh, interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, again, over at Dad Smoke Show. It's our other channel. Yeah, man. Right on. Those are all. Title. Those are some of my favorite people you listed there. So right on. Good people. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a good time over there. And uh, it's a little more laid back and we kind of meander. Uh, topics and it's fun it's it's just a little more chill a little less organized <laughs> yeah oh i'm um i can be both so it's okay um uh, also uh, everybody we should check out before we get started um we do have the pest class at the pestclass.com uh over on teachable uh, all the different types of um, beneficial insect controls that are compatible with living soil and aquaponics and then we also have apmjclass.com um, we actually had a, a really uh, great results from one of our students in Africa this uh, past week. So um, we, we'll have him on the show here soon to, to talk about that. I'm super stoked, but they had uh, incredible results growing over the winter cycle in, in South Africa. So really stoked on that. Alrighty. Well, uh, if you guys want to check out Aaron, the grower, you can find him at um, ATG acres on Instagram, or you can find him at atgacres.com for his website. Thanks for joining us today. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit of, about what you do? Right on. Um, thanks for having me. I'm a fan of the show, and so it's kind of an honor to uh, get the invite and be here with you. And um, and it was really cool to meet you while you were in town for the Turp Float uh, recently. Uh, we got to kick it for 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 a good good minute, and uh, definitely had some good discussions. And that powder you gave me had me messed up for a significant period of time. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm talking about edible powder here. It's a, I think it was a 10 milligram sachet of, of powder that put under my tongue. And so anyway, uh, 
I was uh, honored to be here and I am Aaron, the grower, ATG acres, atgacres.com and ATG acres on Instagram. Like you said, um, I'm a living soil grower here in Oklahoma. We believe we're producing some of the most flavorful cannabis here um, alongside with guys like Brandon Rust and uh, Carter Creek and uh, Red Dirt and a whole bunch of other guys that really there's, there's a small community of us organic growers out here and and we're starting to come together and build something nice and work together and collaborate and stuff. And, um, and I've been doing organic growing for um, about nine years. My soil is about that old. Um, I took it from California to Oklahoma when I moved out here. And um, so it's got that nine-year-old California terroir that I bring to the Oklahoma market. And uh, really excited about it. I've uh, been doing my own agronomy for a few years now. Um, and all that really means is I get my soil tested at Logan Labs and I look at my plants and I go, okay, this run was really good. Um, I want to try and hit these numbers again. So, um, so I create sort of a standard that's always fluid and always changing. And I've seen crazy success with crazy different numbers. So, um, and um, so, so I, the one thing I want to, I like to stress when I talk about living soil is for people not to be scared to jump into it because it's, um, it's, it's really hard to mess up and even messing it up is, is fixable. It's, um, it's a lot of fun in that way. And, um, yeah, I have, I have, uh, I have a lot going on right now. I have, I'm, uh, working on a preservation project for some wild hemp that I found locally in Oklahoma. Um, I like to talk to you about that a little bit more in detail. I, uh, I've been fighting metric and the state and the lab that I work with on some absolute garbage, um, practices, um, done by both the lab and the, uh, the metric organization. Um, so I can talk about that a little bit. And then any, any questions that anybody might have on, on living soil, I'd be happy to talk about that. You know, some of the, uh, the most common questions I get are about terpene production and stuff like that. That's one thing that we, that we focus on is, you know, creating really uh, terpene and flavonoid rich cannabis. And we, uh, we had our first run come down with 4.1% uh, terpenes in, a, uh, in blue cookies. Now, blue cookies is not traditionally a, a super terpy uh, variety. It tends to be in the two, you know, one and a half to two and a half percent range. And um, we've been able to, to take strains that have a acrid terp profile and, and really turn the dial up on those. Um, and the way that we do that is, is through nutrient deficiencies and, and imbalances. And so it's a lot of fun to play with that kind of stuff. It's one of my favorite things to do right now. I am depriving my plants of phosphorus. So we have a really, really low phosphorus in our soil test availability, but there is, there is some in, in, um, in soil, like the, the, you know, in solid solution there, there, there's uh, phosphorus, but in liquid solution in this, in the paste test, there's very low. So it's not like they're going to run out completely, but they're, they're not getting a lot. And um, this is the second run that I've tried this. I've pushed it harder on this run. But on the last run, we saw these really high terpene um, numbers. And 
Um, I believe it was because of low phosphorus and high sulfur. And um, so I'm kind of testing that and so far so good, but the plants are pissed. The plants are not happy about it. You know, I have some, some burnt tips and, and burnt leaves and, but man stinks to high hell. So we're really excited. I'll stop talking. You asked me some questions. <laughs> uh, I guess my first question is what would you, what did you find coming from California to Oklahoma that as far as um, transitioning, I know um, uh, it's a lot more humid here. The temperature is much higher under, uh, especially for July and August. I think that throws a wrench in a lot of people's, you know, normal uh, methods of what were some of the big challenges uh, that you faced? So the other one I would, I would, I would off the top of my head in the first year when I came out here in 2019, uh, growing larger scale out, outdoor was um, septoria and and managing that. Now I had dealt with that before in Jamaica, but um, I hadn't seen it quite at the scale that I had seen it out here. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen that, um, but I have. I also haven't been growing outdoors here. Really, what I've been doing is um, I've been just strictly sticking to indoors, and it's only because the price of the building. So I've been an outdoor grower for ten years in in California. And I got pretty good at that. And um, when I started pricing out greenhouses versus metal barns, it was like I could save a lot of money doing this metal barn thing. And I was like, well, I guess I'm Aaron, the indoor grower now. And so I took all my outdoor practices, which, you know, are rooted in sustainability and agronomy. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about like the lowest possible inputs for the highest possible output. Um, and so I took those principles and I brought them inside. and. I would say that, you know, in terms of the humidity and, and temperature fluctuations and things like that, Oklahoma gets really humid, but it also gets really dry, which is absolutely detrimental. Almost all funguses thrive in those conditions. Um, and so what we've seen um, with the few plants we put outdoors is, is grasshopper destruction. Now, that's not the case for... Um, we haven't even seen anything finished flowering because of grasshoppers outside, but that's not the case for uh, the wild hemp patch. There's all this natural resiliency. So we're going to, we're going to actually work on breeding those, those traits into some, you know, T high THC varieties. Um, but the biggest thing is, is dehumidification, man. You just, you got to have dehumidifiers. Um, if, if you have the understand the HVAC understanding of reheat, that's a convenient tool to use too. Um, but ultimately we have the capability of pulling a hundred gallons a day out of the room. Um, and there's 15,000 watt lights. So, and, and on a, on a day when I'm watering in there and it's humid outside, we will pull fit uh, more like 40 gallons in a day out. So, and, and actually that's not even including what the ACs pull, man. The ACs probably pull another 10 or 15 gallons each and there's two of them in there. So it's, it's a wild thing out here, man. The, 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 the predators and the prey, I mean, everything is monstrous. Everything that, that sits on your plant is huge. It's like this freaking grasshopper is the size of my fist. And, um, and, the and they will come that, that are even bigger than they are and come down and. Dude, there's a there's a, a a species of wasp that's a shiny blue metallic blue that hunts them, and I will just sit yep. in front of my barn, man, and watch these these blue wasps hunt grasshoppers. It's it's something incredible. We had really good luck with IPMO using the the IMO with frass. 
uh, mm. against them, uh, especially at scale. Works really well yeah. for low cost. Um, yeah, and I wanted to see. So I've been I've been putting my tried and true genetics that I've earned in California um, to the to the Oklahoma environment, and I haven't found one that stands up to it with zero IPM. You know, uh, you know. I'm looking for, for commercially viable genetics that are going to be, you know, we can have windrows, we can have, we could be running a swather and, and putting hundreds of acres out of this stuff that, you know, produces maybe a one-to-one, something like that would be really desirable. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we're going to be looking for. And, um, in this breeding project. Durbins have been pretty good for not, you know, not really getting screwed with by much. Yep. And these look, these are, these are like Durban with a lot less production. I mean, you can see the, you know, the Durban poison cousin and in, in looking at these, you know, you're like, oh, these are, you know, this is a narrow leaf, small bud, long flower, tall, lanky, you know, wind resistant plant. Um, so, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, sure the wild hemp patch was really cool, man. So this is such a cool story. My, my contractor, I am basically like starting to put feelers out. I'm like, so there's wild weed growing in Oklahoma and, and people are like, yeah, it's, it's real. And my buddy's like, yeah, it's real. My buddy, Ryan, he's like, yeah, it's real. You know, I found some down, uh, down this way and blah, blah, blah. And, but we never found the patch he was talking about. Well, his bull gets out. He's a cattle farmer and his bull gets out. He's walking around on his neighbor's land and his neighbor's got hundreds and hundreds of acres just in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't even know this exists. Well, he didn't know that this existed on his property, I believe. Um, but he sends me a blurry photo at like 11 o'clock at night. Like, what is this? And I'm like, where is this? And it was just these blurry, narrow leafed things that you're showing right there. And I showed up the next day with him and I was expecting a couple, he's like, it was dark. So he said he found a couple of plants, man, there were, there must be, I mean, there's thousands. I, I don't want to jump to say that there's over 10,000, but there's probably three to 7,000 plants on this land. You can see the pollen. So these uh, the varieties are, there, there's a lot of variants. So some of the males are, almost done producing pollen when I was there a month ago in this video. And some of them haven't even started producing pollen yet. Um, this one right here that, that was just at the end of that video was actually the one that, uh, that smelled chemically in tarry and I'm working with to test for THC and is, but there's so much going on in this field that I'm basically going to have to do a massive seed hunt, um, have many different people, search through the genetics, see what kind of THC we get back and, and kind of build as a community to, to, to both preserve these genetics and work with them to create drug type genetics that, that were so, that are so desirable for, for people. Do you want to touch on why it's important to work with these local cultivars? Um, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand why this is so valuable. They might see this and be like, well, that doesn't have much THC. Like, why is this useful? Um, Dude, such a good break point. Break that down for people. Such a good point. Yep. Um, so these plants were either 
leftover stock from early 1900s or the um, post-World War II uh, uh, hemp boom when we lost access to rope production, which I believe was coming, you know, out of some sort of enemy territory. So we lost access to that. So the government said um, Oklahoma farmers and there's there's a whole bunch of Midwest farmers that were now allowed to apply for permits to grow hemp. And so it's my opinion that these come from that era. Now, my contractor told me that these plants may be the result of the last crop that got high THC that was actually had to be burned. So the last of those crops was all thrown into a pit that would have looked a lot like this in a deep valley um, to be burned to the ground because high THC, we can't have that in our country, right? So I believe this is a patch that is thriving in a ditch from post-World War II or during World War II um, hemp boom that um, that happens to have been selected for. And so that selection leads to resiliency against um, really crucial things like grasshoppers and wind, um, drought, uh, and even aphids. I saw aphids out there, cannabis hemp aphid, and um, no, like very sporadic. It was on just a few of the varieties. And then, and I would say that there were three to four different terpene smell varieties and they were all so unique that it's like, there's, there's like multiple influences in genetics here, which is part of the reason I believe that this is a culmination of the cities or counties illegal you know, what was supposed to be legal, but became illegal cannabis production. Um, so we're going to be working with this and testing it for THC. And we're going to be releasing some seeds that are, we're going to categorize them by grasshopper damage, terpene profiles. So we'll have three or four different terpene profiles. I actually found some purples with real purple haze smells. Um, uh, we're going to be doing wind resiliency, which is probably going to be based on the narrowness of the leaves and things like that. Uh, and so this is important for people in extreme climates that have trouble growing plants outside traditional, you know, indoor bred cannabis plants that, you know, if you put them outside, they get eaten by grasshoppers or they, um, they just can't stand up to the, the heat or you know, whatever it may be, these genetics are selected over the last 60, 70, potentially 100 years um, for these particular successes. And Another thing I want to just touch on for people is look at the diversity in phenos in this field. It's great for breeding because you can take seeds off of one of those plants that you really like. Uh, and then go out there, but it's it's a nightmare if you're trying to get a pound of anything. I mean, you're, there isn't a pound of everything, anything in this field, but um, it's very similar. You see this a lot, and when I was in Africa and and Jamaica, where they have you know some light pollination in a separate patch, um, and then plant everything out, and what they get is what they get. Mm-hmm. And these aren't like you said; these aren't producing weight. I did. Uh, 
I saw maybe I am going to one of the other categories is going to be density. I found in every patch there were probably two or three plants that were that already had like little bud, you know, nice. I would say maybe 10 to 15 bracts already piled up at the bud sites. And so those will be a particular interest to most people because they're going to be closer to the varieties we're used to working with. And they're going to be more, I'll tell you, more, more easy to work with. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. I took uh, like 30 clones from this field, like five from a bunch, like different strains and stuff. And I took 20 from the plants that were tar variety, bigger buds, shorter, a little bit wider leaf. They all rooted in seven to 10 days, like I'm used to in my clone um, propagation area, but the non, the, the really narrow leaf, tall, super skinny, um, more land race looking varieties wouldn't root. And so I knew that the clones that rooted were going to be more similar to the genetics that I was used to working with. Uh, and so I should make people aware of that if they're interested in these genetics, some of them are really clone resistant. They're, they're, these are bred to, to uh, reproduce through seed and they've been doing so for a long time. And I, and I would bet that they have very little success dropping a branch and landing in the, in the dirt, in the dry, dry dirt there and having it root. So seeds is the, is the way to go with most of these varieties, but some of them are special and, um, you know, familiar, I would say. This, look at all the grasshoppers on that thing. I mean, but no grasshopper. Oh, and there's a thick bud variety. So that's one of the ones I'll take some of the seeds from that I'll, we'll be calling like thick bud or something like that. No grasshoppers on that. It's either. almost comical how much they, they get onto certain strains. I have a picture like that too, with small ones where the whole plant's covered in little baby ones. Mm-hmm. And these plants are anywhere from four feet tall to 10 to 12 feet tall. Um, it's unbelievable. Any other, um, what have been the terpene profile ranges on this? So the most common is like a citrus pine. And then that's like 80% of all the patches. And then you have a, the purple, like I said, and then you have the, um, shoot, what was the other profile, profile I smelled? I did type about, if you go back to my Instagram, because my, uh, my memory is shit, but there is another profile. Um, click on the, I don't think that's it. Go to the, uh, the post with the purple right there on the right in the middle. Up, up to the right that one there i may have no that was just talking about the purple so there's an older post if you go a little older um, where i talked about the different varieties that's the fasciation or fasciation fasciation do you want to touch on this real quick for people that don't know what this is because it's, it's if you do a lot of hemp and a lot of cannabis sifting you'll, you'll see this semi-frequently 
Yeah. And so, you know, if you look online, people say this is a, this is a rare, um, considered a rare mutation, rare genetic mutation, but actually I've seen it pretty, you know, it's like, it seems like it's like one in 5,000 or something like that. But in this field, there's, there's, this isn't the only one. And, um, I've seen it weirdly. I've seen it in Oklahoma and other plants. Um, we have some black eyed Susans growing in on the property that we found one next to the gate that was fasciated as well. And it seems like, okay, wind plus the potential to grow tissue in a elongated fashion instead of a cylindrical fashion will, will bring about this, this potential. And, um, I blame Coop. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, it definitely is a funky mutation and, but it does, it is correlated with increased biomass production and potentially increased bud yield. If, if, uh, if you can get it to do that, it's a, it's a weird thing because sometimes it'll just be all stem and little calyxes or bracts that grow along the stem. And then sometimes it'll be like big fat buds growing straight sideways. And you can tell it's different from polyploidism because fasciation causes these like flat or ribbon, it's also called flat stalk or ribbon stalk. Correct. Kind of yeah, they call them branches. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they call them um, crest, cresting. Um, and it's, it's a really, really interesting genetic mutation. But yeah, it is more common. You know, I would say I've seen a lot of different mutations in cannabis and this and chinensis are the two most common i'd say chinensis is where you have the little bract growing on the petiole of the, the leaf i'm sure most people have seen that one shout out to jordan river for the amazing smoke tonight i got some really nice flower from him the other day very, nice very awesome. yeah um he's uh he's the host of uh um which he's in he's in chat right now so that's what i was saying. yeah <laughs> yeah growcast oh, freak i can't i couldn't remember it yeah but shout out jordan um oh, but yeah. uh um so uh, uh that's really cool that you you found that that patch and you're doing that for for breeding purposes it's always really cool to find stuff from a local area when you're trying to adapt everything especially to larger scale it makes a lot more sense to to go that route mm-hmm Yep. Yep. That's going to be the, the goal is adapting it for commercial scale and outdoor production. And, and, but we're, I'm also going to be working on putting some of these genetics um, inside as well. And cause I'm at the same time, I'm about to pop 270 seeds for a giant pheno hunt um, for my indoor stuff as part of a hard reset on, on my garden. Um, that I've discovered hop latent viroid in. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I spilled my bong on the ground oh, no. and I'm cleaning it up. But the, um, uh, I'm still not totally convinced that just because you have a line that has hemp latent viroid that it's going to express to the point where it's a problem. Because you see this in mosaic virus, like you can test a lot of lines that look clean for mosaic virus and it has mosaic virus in it but 
it's not a problem unless right. you have shitty grow conditions and it expresses. And I've even seen too with mosaic virus where just a difference in lighting when they were testing a couple of different lights in a couple of different rooms and only one of the cuts was expressing it under one of the lights. So again, you're going to have strains that pound on, on certain things, but I'm not entirely convinced. Again, you, you always want to try and avoid it, but I don't, um, I'm not fully convinced that it's, you know, a death sentence for every seed line that has it. I, I, you know, if these other viruses are, are not expressing and to the point where they're becoming a problem for the plant growth, you know, dude, I, you're hundred percent right. The THC right. And the terpenes are right. What's the problem? I, you're hundred percent right. And you know, it's just like pests, you know, it's like you, you can, you can have them to an economic threshold, but beyond that, then they're problematic. My, the caveat that got me is, um, we're doing nursery sales. So I we're if, if I'm providing cuts for people, um, I, 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 I immediately need to, to get rid of anything that, that could potentially have that because not everybody has perfect grow conditions. And I'll tell you, you're hundred percent right, man. I've probably lived with HLVD for years. Um, but it wasn't until I got my plants into some accidental soil um, that I found out that there was a problem and I'm, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I'm grateful that they were put in those negative conditions so I can learn that there is a problem, but there's a problem and I got to get rid of stuff. So. No, I, I, I totally feel you. But yes, I think the home grower, the average home grower or anybody not selling clones, dude, you can run with all kinds of viruses. And if you've collected genetics over any period of time, likely you've got virus and disease and viroids running rampant in your plant, but they've, you know, it's, it's at a manageable level for the plant where they can tolerate it and, you know, grow successfully. You can use websites like uh, medicinal genomics. They have a lot of testing for those. Um, Agdea is another one that has a lot of different testing um, for different viruses step. and stuff. If you do suspect something. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll be mixing. Use? Go ahead. What lab did you use when you, you figured it out? Uh, was Leaf. I think it's called LeafWorks DNA. Um, it was, I, I messaged somebody I look up to big time, which is Poetry of Plants. Um, and I, cause I know he's, he's, he guarantees hop latent free cuts when he sells them. So I'm, yeah, I just learned from the people I, uh, I look up to and he's like, you know, this is the lab. So that's the one I went with. Cool. Awesome. That's good to know for people that think they might have a problem. Well, that's great. So you, uh, do you want to talk about metric? Um, for those of you guys that don't know uh, metric, there is a law class action lawsuit launched in Oklahoma against metric. Um, so uh, I'll let you uh, touch on your, trials and tribulations man um i'll try not to get too upset here while i oh it's fine bash them to bits a lot of people need to understand why these types of things are bad for their state to adopt yeah that's that's really what it's all about is you know if if you're in a place where this hasn't happened yet you're the only you're in the only position you can be to prevent it because once they get here it's over. And we had a restraining order in Oklahoma against metric. And then once the restraining order was over, boom, they were in, in like Flynn, man. So we, uh, 
this this the my my situation is a combination of mistakes it's the lab made a mis- made two mistakes and fixed it fi- they fixed their mistakes but because those mistakes were made metric basically like put a blindfold on and like stopped paying attention and said you know we're going to like this just gets tabled like, I don't care that you're a mom and pop with no investments and, you know, need this harvest to feed your family. You're going to have to wait. I mean, imagine if you were a tomato farmer and you had, you know, your hundred thousand pounds of tomatoes ready to go and they were, they were fresh. Well, you know, I'm in, I'm in week eight of this ticket being open. We've had clean tests for 12 weeks. I mean, it's, it, or, or I'm sorry, 10 weeks. And um, so, so I'll tell you the story. So we submit a test like you're supposed to, to our lab, the lab sit and all of our strains got tested. Everything tests clean, except one test comes back for Aspergillus fumigatus and um and some pesticide that I've never heard of, but now I know what it is. It's abermectin or something like that. And so I get on the phone with the lab and I'm like terrified. I'm like, great. My life is over. Like I'm not gonna be able to feed my family. And like, how did I get mold on my weed? What the fuck? So I call the lab and they're like, look, man, we, uh, we think we may have made a mistake. Um, uh, while I'm on the phone with them, mind you metric, I have metric up on my screen and the abermectin goes from like 200 parts per million to zero parts per million. They changed it while I was on the phone with them. And they're like, look, man, we think we made a mistake submitting your test to metric Um, pay for another test and we will submit it. And, and if it passes, all we have to do is push it through twice. And I'm like, okay. So I pay for another test. It of course passes. They submit the test and metric feeds back something that says retest failed. Okay. So now there's a mistake on metrics end and there's a mistake on the labs end. Um, And so at this point, after weeks and weeks of debate, the issue is raised to OMMA which is the governing body. So let me back up a second. OMMA hired Metric. Metric is the seed to sale compliance company that runs almost every compliance um, program in the country. There's a few others, two others, but they've all failed other than this company, basically. And so they run this state-funded monopoly and the lab basic the lab and growers and everybody else has to bow down to them and the only person they answer to is omma so omma is now the issue is now raised to omma's level and omma is saying we need to investigate the lab on their procedures well the the what that meant was they literally just got on a phone call with the lab and asked them a few questions the the end of that was have them submit another sample and test that again but mind you we already have a clean sample from this material for the fresh frozen before it was dried it was clean there was no mold on it it was the same weed um 
So now we're, we get our, we get another test and we submit another sample. We get another test. This is our fourth test, our third clean test that, which, you know, if we're including the incorrect test that they, you know, did. Um, and, and so, so where we stand right now is that test is in metric. It says that all things are passed. You know, of course, zero PPM for all of those molds. They fucking made a mistake on my test, but they righted it as soon as they could. And metric has, because they're standing there, literally they're standing there doing nothing as a roadblock saying, wait a second, I don't know what to do. And meanwhile, I have these tomatoes that need to make it to market or they're going to go bad. And, it, and I say tomatoes because it makes it easier for people to understand, you know, this is a fresh product. A lot of people think of weed as like, oh, it can be, it's fine. It's been two months. It's fine, dude. It's fine. But we're trying to produce like the, the top, top, top shelf level cannabis in the state. And when it sits in my cure room for two months, that's not what I want. And it's expensive. We can't, you know, I'm running that thing 60, 60 all the time. Of course, everything's sealed up, but um, who's going to, who's going to pay for that? I am. I'm going to be the one that has to eat that cost. Um, metric is getting a paycheck. The lab's getting a paycheck. OMMA is getting a paycheck. Everybody's getting a paycheck except for us. Um, we've sold out of all of our other cannabis and, um, and it's, it's, we're sitting on the bulk of our harvest that is now sitting in metric as, literally oh coot what's up dude long time no talk dude coot should jump in um but so it's just been a wild ride man and and uh the sum of it is it's the test is in metric as passed but metric has yet to apply the test to the to the batch so that the test is there but the batch doesn't have the correct indication that we can sell the cannabis. It's an utter fucking nightmare. And uh, so we had the same issue. We had a batch of our sublinguals that we made and they were trying to say that the 10 milligram passed and the other 50 milligrams passed and all the other 10 milligrams passed and all the 125 milligram drinks passed all made from the exact same base oil. <laughs> right that it, same batch and then they tried to say that just one of the flavors failed and then we went and retested all the we paid to have the ingredients tested for what for aspergillus none of them had any detectable so mm -hmm. we knew it wasn't from those and then we did it and then we went and retested it at at four other places and all those came back clean and we had to go through a bunch of bullshit so finally what we ended up doing was was the the state said that they or OMMA said that they submit a sample to them and they'll have it tested. So we sent them or dropped it off wherever the fuck it was, uh, and then they came back uh, and 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 said that um, uh, it, it passed. And then there was still a bunch of bullshit. So and then we had another time where the lab failed us for uh, aspergillus, a different one. But again, we knew all the ingredients did it because we tested all of it and we were buying it in large batches. So I know we don't have a problem in our end because I'm not, you know, I've, I, after going through this the first time, we're not going to deal with this shit again. So 
we ended up doing with the same thing. And then we ended up asking, okay, can you give us a copy of exactly what your cleaning procedures were and who signed off on it on that day? Cause we're real curious. And then they immediately offered to retest it for free because they knew they screwed up. That's the thing, man, is, is so coming from California where the regulations are as tight as a, you know, as tight as they can possibly be where they have, I mean, so my mentor is, um, is a, part owner in a lab in California, and they have like a 2200 page SOP that they submit for their testing protocols. And in Oklahoma, it's as little as 20 pages. And the reason is there's less regulation on those testing procedures. So if the lab manager has a bad day and gets in and doesn't wash her hands and, you know, it's like, there goes my sample. You know, I'm surprised I didn't fail for E. coli. I don't know what they're doing back there, but I mean, good Lord. So it looks like Coot's in there. Hey, Coot. Looks like he's getting his audio connected there. Yeah, hold on a minute. There he is. There he is. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. How the hell are you? Hey, what are you doing, brother? <laughs> Long time no talk, man. This guy, you? this guy, Aaron, and I, and I don't say this for any uh what's the word uh, hyperbole we put future cannabis project on the goddamn board with those interviews with the guy from worm power uh dr linda chalker scott and the big uh, one of these to the whole uh, compost tea thing i had a blast on that one and then of course my good buddy and his my microbial collapse the guacamole kid you know? <laughs> how's so, your microbial collapse doing there jim <laughs> no i'm doing pretty good i you know i can't post pictures here but if i could i got uh, some trees growing in uh, 600 gallon smart pots that uh let me put it this way you don't need 20 goddamn bamboo sticks from china to hold up the branches look at my <laughs> dank looks like a piece of shit you know uh get some you know some cojones on that thing, you know, dude. That and so that's what I've been working on, man. Is I'm breeding some some local genetics right now that I found, dude. Coot, I found a fucking wild hemp patch in Oklahoma. I'm gonna take those genetics and breed them into some drug type varieties and make something really special for crazy, crazy environment. <clears throat> Did you hear about my little deal? So, uh we crossed the TO with a uh, sativa from Hawaii that was Sri Lanka, uh, Thai, and uh, Oaxacan. Okay. And so anyway, Jeremy ran uh, some tests on the, my nemesis, autoflowers. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like taking. Oh, sex. I miss you, Jim. I fucking miss you. That's like having sex with a raincoat on, you know, kind of thing. There he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, so he ran it under one of these, uh, highfalutin LED things and he had a 10 by 10 tent. That's right. I forgot that point. And so there were four quadrants, four by four, basically each. Right. So under one of them, he ran, uh, this, uh, we called it cause you know, I know you're supposed to put the female first and then the male's name, but one Pacalola sounded stupid. So we named it Pacalola one, uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, right what, who, like who gives a shit, right? So, um, no, that sounds fire. So I set him seeds 
but this was basically a pheno hunt because we hadn't done anything except harvest the seeds and I sent him some. So get this, man. Not working with cuts, but from seed. 36 ounces under an LED in a four by four. 36. Respectable, dude. 1.5 uh, grams per what? I know that's important to what, some. Yeah. What, you don't have to say that for me. I'm old too. Um, yeah. What uh, What size light? What, what do you know the wattage of the light was? I, I look, I know nothing. I know I'm a soil guy, but I think it was 700, but rated at a thousand. I, you know, yeah, yeah, the 720 guy. to a thousand. Yeah, that one. crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timber was a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, when because I here's what happened I was watching it was a series of videos on Build a Soil channel there, right? So I'm watching my genetics and I'm thinking, God damn. My plants don't look like that. So I call him up and I said, I don't know what you got for lighting, but I want one. He says, well, let mm -hmm. me tell you the price. And then he did. And I just had my eyes were spinning in my socket for a couple hours. Um, I didn't know God intended lights to cost that much. But, uh, well, you know, hey, welcome to reality, right? But I'll tell you yeah. what, the, the lack of heat uh, is makes for a tremendous grow the genetic potential of a plant is maximized with this level of light. It's almost like, almost like sunlight. And that's quite dude, a statement for an artificial light. Dude. So I'm running true thousand watt LEDs. I have 15 of them in my indoor. Oh, okay. Wow. And they're, so I usually finish my runs like around 850 watts. And they're also like three feet away from my plants. So I don't have to worry about right. bumping my head or anything like that. Right. You know, if I'm spraying, if I have vegging plants in there and I'm spraying, you know, foliar feeding or something like that, I don't have to yep. worry about the lights getting hit. Um, and then the other thing is, is I don't have to worry about raising and lowering the lights ever. Right. I just turn my light controller up. Um, You're dimmer, and you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, right. it's uh nowadays it's a light controller, RJ11, Ethernet cable, like high tech crap that runs. You know, it's just cables running everywhere and and outside the grow. Are I you trying little... to confuse me? I am. Are you confused yet? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Once you get once you get away from soil, I'm screwed. Okay. Oh, dude, you it's know. been it's been a wild ride. You know, you know me. I'm a soil guy, and and yeah. going through all this technology upgrade. Like we have a um, we have a device called the Pulse. It's a Pulse Pro and it's a monitor on my phone. I can pull up literally mm. everything going on in my grow from VPD to uh, CO2 levels to light levels to, and it's got notifications and stuff like that. And I've got three of them in my flower room, one in veg and one in dry. And, um, and I'm I have psyched. to ask, how's your NPK? <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> You made me lose my lose my mouth there. Yeah, that's yeah. I no. didn't mean to interrupt your uh, uh, presentation. I wanted to stop by and say I hadn't talked to you in got a long time, dude. So, it's uh, so nice to see you, man. I I, I can't believe that I'm uh, talking to you right now. I wasn't sure if you had left the country yet or what your what you know what your life no, was I, like. I got old and uh, yeah, I'm kind of like kicked back and fine wine, and, dude. Fine. And now wine. that I, now that I got that uh, light. I'm thinking I only have to do one uh, cycle a year and then the rest of the year I could do neat stuff like orchids or uh, 
I'd like, I wouldn't mind playing around with some uh, of the Indian Tulsi uh, uh, basils, the Krishna, the Shiva, uh, and Vishnu uh, varieties of Tulsi. So, yeah, this because I don't, I don't want to grow all the time. I, if I could do one cycle, bam, you know, uh, I might even trim it or something, <coughs> and then uh, like make it look professional. In case, you know. Oh yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? And then one mm -hmm. cycle a year, and then you're done, and then uh, go on vacation and uh, fly <sighs> drones and uh, do other neat shit. Buy camera dream. equipment, drive your wife nuts. Yeah, that's, oh, that's my that job anyway. now. Yeah, yeah, that's my job. Well, no, I just appreciate you jumping in, man. Uh, we, uh, I think everybody here loves to see you. You're, are uh, you doing uh, soil or are you doing uh, a modified or? Oh, okay. Yeah, we're doing, we're do, I mean, dude, this is the same stuff that I was running your mix in. This okay. is, you know, my, my stuff is still a modified. Well, I guess at this point it's pretty far modified version, but you know, I still well, take it has a to lot be. of in the, another part of the country. Yeah. There's just a lot of different things going on. But I, I, you know, I still use all kinds of different inputs that, that you taught me about. And, um, and I teach people about them all the time, actually. May I ask what your soil mix is? It is a lot of different things. It's, it's 10, you know, it's nine or 10 years old. So there's, uh, I'll tell you this. I started a long time ago with advanced nutrients. This is, so this soil is actually like 15 years old with synthetics pumped into it for five years. Then what was that? Coot? Oh, I'm just going to point out that that actually that name is an oxymoron because it's neither advanced or nutrients. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Go ahead. No, absolutely, dude. I'm ashamed. This is a shameful part of my past. But and then uh, we I just moved that soil. It was Sunshine Pro Mix 4. Moved that right into the organic game. I mixed it with a whole bunch of mushroom compost and like, sure. a um, you know, uh, composted cow manure and horse manure and. Um, and over the years, I've just done different things based on soil tests and plant reactions and just sort of played pinball and bumped the ball back and forth. But man, I've used, I've put so much different shit into my, into my soil, <sighs> so much different shit. I mean, and one thing I'll say about adding anything to your soil is, you know, it's pretty safe. You can pretty much, if somebody's, if you got something that somebody's like, oh, try this in your soil, you can try it. But if you keep your pH above 6.5, between 6.5 and 6.8, 6.9 at the max, you won't see heavy metals even taken up, even if there are heavy metals. So I've seen my soil definitely contains certain things, rock minerals and stuff that have gotten heavy metals into the soil. But I've been able to get clean tests on my cannabis, even with you know the super accumulator that cannabis is, it'll take up heavy metals. Um, just by keeping my pH high. And that's a trick I learned um, actually from Tad on the Kiss Organics podcast. <laughs> my buddy, Tad. Do you yep, know how yep. many people, like, do you know how many people I've trained in this thing? I do. I mean, you trained me, Jim. No, I mean, yeah, what? but I mean, like Tad Hussey at Kiss Organics. Oh, yeah. No, well, that's where I heard you first, Jim. That was the first place I ever heard you. And I was uh, I was still on the uh, general hydroponics train at that time. But I was getting mad because I was I, was, I had started organic. I'd gone over and I'd, I'd tried every different system and then started having problems. And I was like, I never had any of these problems when I was just in fucking soil. 
I'll tell you and, that fu funny thing about that series I did with Ted. He turned it into three episodes, right? One, two, three. That was actually done in Let's Go, and we did four hours. Holy cow. And then he edited. And he, he edited out some stuff because he didn't want to get sued. Because, uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> no, because I came out pretty hard against a certain. What? Not um, you. Yeah. yeah, you've calmed down a lot since then, dude. I will say that. I mill it out. Never. Oh. I'm, gro I'm growing stronger weed. Maybe that's it or something. Mm. Excuse me, cannabis. I don't grow weed. I grow cannabis. Yeah. We, we got to be proper now. It's cannabis. I did want to mention if you're uh, if you're trying to get like a Pulse Pro type setup and you're on a budget, you can get the Amazon um, weather station. Uh, and then hook uh, hook up to your Wi-Fi, and then get the smart outlets that that run on the Amazon HomeNet thing, and you can do it for real cheap. Marty actually has a whole video on on his YouTube channel, AP Meds. Um, and if you're looking for like kind of the poor man's version of it uh, of of some of this fancier gear, you can do that for just that. And the weather station monitors humidity and temperature and all that. So you, there's a, a hack app that you can download that's pretty publicly available with a little bit of Google Foo, and it kind of feeds into all of it. And and it's it really helps people that are on a budget. So definitely check that out as well. Right on. One thing I want yeah. to point out is that Aaron uh, ordered some worm castings for my worm guy, uh, Doug. And I'm not going to say a word. Why don't you tell them what your experience was with those worm castings? absolutely phenomenal i've uh i've actually i i put i added some right 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 when i got to oklahoma um i had some left over and um it fertilized my veg my veg room for the first like three months i was here before i acquired other nutrients great stuff um <laughs> really phenomenal and actually there you know worms were alive for months little tiny baby worms were alive for months right. in that in that mix right. the hatchlings like yeah that means, yeah. Mm -hmm. that means they were dropping cocoons and those cocoons were uh, mature maturing and hatching because each cocoon drops uh around four hatchlings so uh that's a good sign that you have a healthy bin going when you see cocoons so yeah yeah great npk huh Great NPK. Very good NPK and XYZ. And, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny you bring up the NPK thing because my focus on living soil recently has actually been so far outside NPK. Although P has been a recent focus, phosphorus has been a recent focus, reducing phosphorus Wait, and seeing. You really come high. by that honestly. What stoner does not obsess about phosphorus? Name one. Uh, you can't. That's, that's true. You can't. You can't. That's true. That's true. It used to be phosphorus, and then and then there was the it's K, but it really starts with a P. Potassium that was hot uh -huh. for a while, and then mm -hmm. we got on this calcium thing. I never understood that one at all. Um, the calcium thing is is sensible because it's there's so much of it, and I think in, in I know, mind, I know. Yeah, well, that's right. That's I knew you were going to say, it. but that's what's that's what makes sense about it is as long as you have enough. Yeah. You don't need to worry about it, but I I am always adding. Oh, I just got a pulse notification. I'm always adding um, gypsum or some other right. form of calcium, oyster shell, like just because, like okay. I don't know. Just that's always a doing good it. idea because let me explain. Gypsum 
is not calcium carbonate, it's elemental calcium. Calcium sulfur. And right, with uh, sulfur oxide, SO4. So there's four uh, ions of uh, oxygen on the sulfur with elemental calcium. That's a good thing. And then your every seashell on this planet is made of calcium carbonate. So are eggshells. So are a lot of things. So the only reason I ever started using oyster shell because I thought it had a really cool sound and it was a dollar less a bag than limestone. But even limestone is just accumulated seashells over millions of years. So no matter how you get there, if it's mm -hmm. a shell, it's calcium eggs. I mean, poultry, mm -hmm. the whole nine yards. But is it, that just sounds really cool. Like, uh, oh, and they also feed it to chickens to strengthen their eggs. So in transit, this has been going on for 100 years. So in transit, you have less breakage because the shells are harder or and anyway, so whatever you got there in Oklahoma, because you're around the biggest deposit of limestone on the planet under the Midwest, you should be able to get limestone at ridiculously cheap prices, like $8 a 50 pound bag. Yes, you can get very cheap limestone here, but right. And it doesn't matter. There's no, no such thing as this is a mined material it comes out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's no. Uh, like, well, this is the good stuff and this is not the good stuff. You know, it's like, it's limestone. The downside to it in Oklahoma is a lot of it is high in arsenic. So you have yeah, to that's exactly what I was going to say is, is the heavy metals there. You know, I've seen a lot of rock dust coming out of Oklahoma be high in different lead, mercury, arsenic, and even cadmium. And that's, mean cadmium that, and you don't mean my favorite stuff that azomite. Oh, that shit is that shit. I stay away from for I, sure, be, just because of the aluminum. Yeah, it's zeolite, bentonite, azomite. They're all aluminous silica. And bentonite if you have them in organic for... soil, and and you have the right level of, of chelation, uh, you can break the bond of the silica and the aluminum, and now you got free floating aluminum mm -hmm. in your root zone. Who in the hell wants that? Mm -hmm. but like i was saying if you keep your ph above 6.5 you uh -huh. you won't even see that in your finished product that settles it i'm going to get a ph meter don't do I it never don't own one, but i'm going to get one Damn don't it. do it don't do it okay i'm just joking <laughs> i'm fucking with you oh uh, yeah no i honestly i don't even depend on the ph meters i depend on what logan labs ph tells me and it's because my ph is because i ride that six eight six nine so close to seven seven is when hydrogen starts getting locked out and um you know locked out uh seven 7.0 is when there is no more exchangeable hydrogen at, at sites now you can still you know plants take in hydrogen through water they you know they break down well, they also do from the atmosphere um yeah i think i i, I, I presume that's how terpenes that, are see terpenes are constrained and terpenoids I forget which one which, and I don't really give a shit, but one of them has an oxygen and the other one does not. And I don't remember, but anyway, that part doesn't matter. They're all made of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. That's it. No uh, magnesium, no nitrogen, no nothing. Those three elements, and they all come from the atmosphere. They're created on top of the leaves, controlled by the meristem, which dictates what uh, insect repellents, downright pesticides, fungicides, 
uh, pollinator attractors. I mean, there's a whole range that these terpenes and terpenoids play and of which THC is one. On a typical plant, you're talking hundreds of different, uh, you're talking eucalyptol, that's where the uh, eucalyptus comes from, camphor. I mean, all these things play an And one role. thing we've seen is the more dynamic our inputs become, the more dynamic the terpene profile becomes. That's correct. So, the, the right. I really haven't seen any input that, you know, the one thing we focused on is sulfur, and um, yes, sulfur is sulfur is at the base of almost every metabolic function on this planet. Yep. And, and you yep. remember, you've seen over the years, core uh, growers growers using core as the main part of their medium would complain about no aroma and no flavor and what have you. And that's because mm -hmm. core has zero levels of sulfur. So mm -hmm. just the addition of some gypsum mm -hmm. uh, will correct that and give you the aroma, will give you the flavor. But as much as we, not me, but uh, as much as some people want to reduce this down to a, a lesson in chemistry, it's basic botany. Right. And sulfur, if you look there, well, at there's, any there's, there's chemistry happening like when I, in the, in like the, in the, uh, the reduction, you know, of calcium sulfate or of magnesium. So actually it's funny. So people that I have, I have clients that I've helped that are growing in cocoa that are saying that their stuff tastes the same and it's cardboardy. And I've seen really good results with Epsom salt because it's the yes. magnesium sulfate tends to break down a little faster in cocoa. And whereas the gypsum, it can Please have this sort of audience. Like, uh -huh. Please explain to the audience that in spite of the fact that it has the word salt in its name, it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with sodium. At yeah, all. it's it's, it's not it's not sodium. So, yeah. yeah, salt is the type of I believe it's the size of the the crystal. So it's basically probably it's, it originated. I mean, the compound didn't, but its uh, commercialization began in England, and because it was white, it was called salt. But it has nothing to do hmm. with salt in any stretch of the imagination. Right. Right. And it's, so. it's, um, it's magnesium sulfate and it's great because it breaks down and it washes right through your, your, your medium and you can, right. um, you can go right. on and, you know, go about your life. If you're a, if you're a synthetic guy see, who likes to flush. See, here's where the anti-sulfur thing comes in. And my, my belief in the cannabis sector, there was a time many years ago, especially here in the Northwest that you could go to a grocery store and rent a sulfur burner Oh yeah, and then you got pure sulfur, and you, we used to do that. All right, yeah, for fun, uh, powdery mildew. Yeah, back in like 2012, 2013, in the indoor grows, we were burning sulfur. Oh, I was. It was, dude, and get this, it was the exact same sulfur that we buy now, ag sulfur, and add to our soil. It's those little right. yellow, semi, yeah, uh, right. semi spherical uh, pellets. Sulfur oxide. Yeah, well, I, I, I actually, I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess it would be. It would have to be. And you know, have here's what happens when you burn but... sulfur. Okay, so because it is a sulfur oxide, 
Now you have sulfur dioxide, which is mm -hmm. the acid rain stuff. Oh yeah, you got to get out of there if you're burning. But see, here's the thing: right. we don't do that anymore. Now what we do? No, is I know, I know. The sulfur, yeah, you know this, but we put the sulfur yeah. in the soil, and uh, the plant takes it up. Well, we it. started it. We started doing it in '87. So That's the year uh, I was been born, around man. a few years, you know. So yeah, it's frightening, isn't it? But yeah. uh, shit and green. You're I'm not defending it. Believe me, I'm not defending it at all. But I'm just saying. That that's how this anti-sulfur thing, once it gets started, you never get rid of it. You, you know, forever sulfur will be, and they'll have a whole litany of things where you don't want to use it. Mm. Well, you still well, want to overuse it. If you overuse it, your butt will taste like matches. Yeah, I'm well, not, yeah. you don't want to burn sulfur ever, period. No, because no, it's you terrible. Don't burn sulfur. No, they had uh, no. the. The vineyards still use it to to prevent PM. <clears throat> when I was in Northern California, you'd drive through yes. the hills near the vineyards and you'd smell sulfur, man. You know, it's called the uh, just... uh, Bordeaux mix. It's been That's around for about 150 years. It's a <laughs> copper, uh, excuse me, copper sulfate, and uh, it's still used in the wine sector and vineyards. Uh, mm. Absolutely. Yeah, copper so you is another. Yeah, fungicide. I'm mean, again. Yeah, I'm not in and of this, itself. Just because I know about it doesn't mean I defend it. I'm just explaining from a historical perspective. These uh, materials have been around for, in this case, 150 years. It started in uh, Bordeaux, France, widely used in California in the vineyards and in Oregon. Uh, you imagine the powdery mildew we have up here with all the rain in the uh, harvest season of the grapes. So. Yep. Yep. So sulfur, uh, we've seen, we've seen really good results driving sulfur hard and dropping phosphorus hard. And, yes. um, I pushed it too hard on this round. My, my, my plants are pissed, but just super stinky weed, but the, we've seen yields go way down with these techniques, but our input costs are so low that we can afford to, right. to have low yields for, for in trade of, of quality cannabis. You know what you need? You need a consultant. Oh man, I better. <laughs> Seems to be going I'll well. Out, I'll, I'll come out there and I'll, I'll dress up like yeah. a Roy Rogers or something, you know, and uh, I'll be yeah. like the cowboy consultant, you know. The ones so. that the, the really effective consultants that I've known do a lot of internet and not a lot of growing, but a lot, a lot of you know telling people mm -hmm. how to grow mm -hmm. you mean they're talking out of their ass well, well i've just never seen I've, I've never seen some of these main main consultant living soil consultants grow a single fucking plant like now i've never posted i think, I think, we, like, I think we're some bounties like, on some of them out there yeah yes. <laughs> yeah no i have to stop just short of saying names but yeah i completely agree oh heck i don't mind uh anyway uh, <laughs> yeah let, leave it to jim so, uh, no, but, you know, not only that, one well-known, well, well, well-known consultant has never even consumed cannabis in any shape, form, or fashion. And it's like I know, that old I know a breeder. About, I know a breeder who uh, uh, yeah. tests, tests his own stuff, but hasn't, doesn't smoke also. And, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how the the act of taking uh, a brand who wants to have that plant. nasty feeling. I mean, you know, we need to do it without the nasty feeling. Fuck. Yeah. Just pure. Well, Just how many how many brewmasters don't drink? They shake like... pollen on another plant. 
and then have the the Hutzbrad stand in front of a crowd and go, "Yes, I'm a breeder." Really? Hubris. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's beyond that. It's I mean, uh, Luther Burbank was a a geneticist. I mean, he created what 250 different fruits and vegetables in his uh, career. Um, but shaking some pollen on this plant over here and then giving it a goofy name like butts in the air or something. I mean, excuse me, buds in the air. Um, how that qualifies you to be call yourself a breeder is beyond me. You know, just uh, uh, whatever. I need a cool. I need a cool name for a strain. I've come up with what I was thinking. Rumpled foreskin. Now that would have that would be catchy. I could sell the shit out of that one. Rumpled foreskin. Um, I wonder if you could, you could. We could get you to make a list, and we could sell them like a domain. You could sell Bigfoot's the, the... foreskin would <laughs> yeah. be a better strain name, Jim. I think Bigfoot's foreskin. Okay. All right. Wow. We'll put that one on the list. Yeah. Coot sweaty sock. There you go. <laughs> Coot sweaty sack. The funk. <laughs> it was really funny is because these plants don't have never been touched. I'm sorry, my strain. So when Jeremy's growing this, they have manifestations and, and expressions that you do not see in strains that are loaded up with Northern Lights uh skunk number one you know the usual so they're uh i i didn't answer it but they're all giving coot advice about well you know those are claw that's too much nitrogen well i know what nitrogen was added to the soil mix oh my so, god dude that's the fucking photo that's yeah. the photo <laughs> um so it was just funny because they haven't seen it so there's something wrong so you got to fix it well, no, you don't. You know, uh, there, there's things in, like there's people in this world look different. You come from this part of the world, you look like this, maybe. If you come from this part of the world, you look like that. Um, well, so does cannabis. I mean, I don't want to interrupt anybody's thinking, but you know, so does cannabis. And uh, anyway. the narrow leaf varieties we've seen out here in this wild hemp patch are really something else, man. It's right. Like, you know, but there are some shorter, wider leafed, and they do happen to smell more chemically tarry that you know, kind of THC kind of. When you scent. leave uh, the epicenter of uh, Hinduism in India is Varanasi. That's where the, you, I mean, these uh, buildings and, and temples go back 3,000 years or more. But there's a road that goes up to the Kush Valley or up to the Kush Valley. And what you find that is the higher the elevation is, as you move up this road, the thinner the leaves get. Mm -hmm. And you got to know it's, it has to be the same genetics. I mean, I, this tribe is going to go, okay, well, now we're going to do this one. You know, I mean, it, it's not like our deal, right? I'm just saying that. So the natural uh, selection. Yes. And, and we're, let's use the other word genotype that never gets discussed. It's always phenotype, which is important, I suppose. But so is genotype. What kind of conditions? If you grow it under using ABC newts versus XYZ organics or something, 
there's going to be a difference in in the output or the the final harvest. It might be yield. It might be flavor. It might be a range of uh, terpenes, terpenoids. Could be a number of things. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. So there's there's variance in strains, and there's variance even within strains, and it's a really yeah, fun. You had a wonderful purple cultivar when we were hanging out at a turplet. Yeah, the Sunday driver. That's that's what metric has held up, actually. Um, that's why I'm just fucking smoking it. But it's uh, it's phenomenal, man. It's it tested at 2.9% terps, 17.3% THC. Um, and it gets me more stone than. Uh, <laughs> huh? What? 33%. All right. D drag your big balls on home there, Coot. Um, I don't need that high of THC. I, I just do. Need, I just need something. Uh, I do. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, look, there's. it has its place. But in my mind, every 1% of terpene content is the equivalent of 10% THC. Oh, we're okay on terps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, how are we doing on terps? Yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing is most yeah. most labs don't even test for more than 22, 23 terps. Right. We're um we're starting to work with labs that are testing for 44 terps. So we can I didn't have it tested. I didn't give a shit. It was tested by some group called that has franchises called Cookies. And mm. they're one of their franchises. The one was TO? Uh, TO was or yeah. They had it tested with a list of all the you know, the terps and the terpenes and everything, man. It's all groovy. And, uh, yeah, they rolled it in at 33% THC. So, like I said, I never had a test because I wasn't trying to sell it. So, you know. Yeah. You know, and the THC, I'll just say again, doesn't impress me because uh, the terpenes are, are what get me stoned. You know, when, I, when I'm sitting, when I'm, when I'm smoking 4.1% terpene weed, I get so much higher than, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the type of high that's like, not couch locked. I'm I'm right. laughing and right. I'm goofy and you know. Well, there's now a you difference between that. being stoned and high. So, I agree. Um, you know, stoned is more your uh, Afghan. Give me a quarter of milk and a box of Oreo cookies mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing. You know, mm -hmm. and sativa is like if you're an artist, a writer, a creative type, you can draw an energy from that uh, type of high and and uh, use it to advance your your endeavors in whatever field you'd like to create in i mean it might just be flying a drone i don't you know I mean, it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to be discussing the theater is it really dead or you know something like that i just mean some some uh, intellectual endeavor it might even be reading say uh some great novels or something you know mm -hmm. that's all um, you have a couple, I think some, well, somebody's got to answer this, uh, dogs, days, gardens, how available are these monosilicilic acid supplements in the root zone? I heard that it may only be really be usable in foliar applications, something right. along the lines of it breaking down in the soil. Right. I, uh, which is a reason I used to use a lot of, uh, it's the oldest plant on earth, uh, or still oh god aloe vera uh, no 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 really i mean it was around in the dinosaur era 
Horsetail? Huh? Horsetail? So, yeah, that's high in horsetail. silico. Mm -hmm. silico. I'm not hearing it. Horsetail? Yes, horsetail. I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Horsetail. Because, I mean, you can imagine with the amount of uh, water we have up here uh, at the base of uh, forest and what have you, there's a lot of horsetail. It's really invasive like a mother. And so... I asked a farmer one time if he mind if I harvest it. He says, mind? You know, it's like, hell, you take all of it, you know. Uh, I, he had to pay somebody every year to clean out the his uh, ponds on the farm. But I used to use that and make a tea out of it, you know, make, not in the formal sense of KNF or anything, but a, a modified ferment, uh, fermented tea to get the uh, silica. The problem with silica is that it's very mobile in your soil. And that's a problem that uh, replenishing it on a regular basis is probably a good thing to do. I'm not advising it. I'm just saying it's something to consider. It doesn't remain stable like some of your other elements, your macro and micronutrients even. Just thought I'd add that to the uh, mix. Kind of like sulfur. You know, sulfur does not remain stable in your soil. Sulfur, I think the ag sulfur is a little bit more stable than the gypsum and the Epsom salt. And in that, right. it physically right. takes a little longer to break down. But that's right. almost just, this is a slow release version. It's not to say that the right. chemical is any different. Right. Or anything like that. right. Um, and then there was another question, wasn't there? Um, well, there was another one about nutrients. What were your thoughts on the claims all nutrients are the same, organic or hydro? I mean, as long as you're getting the same mineral inputs and you have the microbial life there to get it into the plant better, it's it's all the same at the end of the day, but you're going to get more terpenes out of a microbially diverse system than with a non-microbial diverse system. Bingo. Said it better than I would have. Uh, well, let me add this. With organic materials that we use, it's a lot more than NPK. It's enzymes, it's uh, plant compounds, secondary metabolites, mm -hmm. okay. Um, anyway, I'll leave it at that. There's a lot more to it than it. Yeah, a, ho a whole I mean, host of things that we, right. we don't even know about. Like it's, exactly. it's, there's so much we don't understand about it. Right, and so, I mean, you can't, will never convince me that some bullshit bottle of, excuse me, some excellent bottle of nitrogen is going to compare with alfalfa meal. It just isn't going to happen. The benefits are too many. I mean, you have compounds in alfalfa that exist nowhere else in the plant world. Same thing with brown kill. No other plant on the on earth creates algenic acid other than brown kelp, not red kelp, not green kelp, just brown kelp. And that's so, just like, like, just like West Engine was saying, a fraction of what we, what we know. So to like, just go, you know, well, we know exactly. this, and that, that. So it's like, dude, we are so, so limited in to, to not even have that in your sphere of thinking and say, nope, we can cover with an MPK. Or we can cover if we hit all the, yeah. the yeah. chemistry basis, yeah. like it, it doesn't dude, add we up. We don't even, we haven't even developed the form, the forms of measurement 
to be able to understand the dynamic interaction between cofactors in the soil. So like, what does, so like, what does enzymes is a perfect example, but I think that's even more complex than some of the stuff we don't understand. Like there's really basic stuff we don't understand. Like how does, like, we're just starting to understand how different elements impact each other within the soil, let alone how do multiple elements impact each other which then impact other elements which is something that uh, which is like that's not understood at all yeah the obsession after world war ii basically when it started of using ammonium nitrate and phosphoric acid as the two main fertilizers uh it had its day it's deplete there's there's spots in the midwest that it's going to take years of remediation so remediation to ever grow anything there. So, th- you know, these, these arguments that always come from a newt manufacturer or, or shill of some kind, it has no basis in science whatsoever because they want to limit the conversation to NPK. I mean, think about it. Kelp meal has 83 elements, 83. Name uh, name a fertilizer that has half that many. Doesn't exist. Because they can pick you up. Well, hey, you need a nitrogen source. Or you're gonna need oh, you're gonna need some phosphorus. Oh, well, let's get you some potassium over here. Oh, wait a minute, we need some calcium. Yes. It's a goofy way to grow. And, I, and it's obvious that it doesn't work because farm systems are collapsing all around the world. The biggest reason why you should go with organics over the other methods is just to boost your plant's immune system, right? Your IPMs exactly less with with the exactly. more diverse, uh, organic inputs. Right. You know, look if if that if that were true that the, it's the exact same thing, right? That uh, uh, salts are the same thing as mm-hmm. organic, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Okay, if that were true, then we could solve world hunger in about, I don't know, five days. All we got to do is ship vitamins, pills. Take 10 of these a day, you know, this, this array, and you don't need to eat. Uh, and drink water, and uh, I don't know, for bulk, I guess, we'll, you just have you eat some sawdust. Yeah, See just eat wonder, bre- eat wonder Bread and take a pill. Yeah, there you go. See how easy it would be? But the thing is that that isn't how botany works. That isn't how the human body works. Nothing works as, as simple as this. Well, it's the same thing. No, really, it's the same thing. It isn't. How can it possibly be? The ingredients are right on the label. You can read them for yourself. I mean, uh, Jesus. How many forms of nitrogen are there? You got urea. You got... uh, And then does does anybody... Technically, it's just... At the end of the day, there's just three. There was a new paper out recently about cannabis and ammonia to nitrate ratios. 
um, in cannabis and it actually showed that the plants actually prefer a 10 to 30% ammonia to, you know, 90 to 70% nitrates uh, for optimal growth and optimal cannabinoid expression. During veg? And flower. Really? Yeah. Okay. I've seen that, that balance. I can find the paper. Let me find it. Um, I've seen a, well, I don't know. I, I haven't run controls, but I've just, I like to throw that a little out of whack at the end does, of the cycle. Does nitrification ever get in this discussion? The ability I to mean, hold those ions in the soil through. Yeah. See what I mean? It, you can't. I, that's why it's a pointless discussion to make with somebody shilling for a nutrient company because they limit the thing to about one inch wide, narrow. Oh, there you go. This is the paper, if anyone's looking for the, uh, the actual paper and wants to check it out. It was published in June, so it's pretty new. Right on. But they did a couple of different ratios and- uh, Where was this at? What uh, part of the world? Uh, in Institute of Waters, Soil, Water, and Environmental Science, Volcani Center, Roshi, and Israel. Oh, in Israel, okay. Uh, was Dr. Chenoweth involved in that by any chance? No, it's Ava, okay. Selenora, and Nirit okay. Bernstein. There's a lot of research uh, going back 60 years in Israel as regard to cannabis in general. So that's why I was asking. Yeah, but that's a, it kind of lends to aquaponics being pretty good because you're pretty nitrate dominant. So right. Explain some of the growth uh, acceleration. Same thing with a bed. Like, you know, uh, I, I just, <clears throat> I stopped using pots predominantly I just, yeah, I almost didn't use bots for five or six years. So my brain is just kind of fucked up on, on like crop steering. Cause I don't do it. It's just impossible in a bed. You know, it's all, everything's there. And man, just like when people ask me, I'm like, I don't fucking know anymore, dude. The plant just does the shit. Like it's that, you know, it's always got nitrogen in there. It's always got the, all the stuff in there and, and the shit always comes out and I haven't flushed. I don't know. Flushing like 2007. I flushed. I don't know what the fuck. You know, I Dude, miss the difference and the difference between the spots and the beds their runoff. That was are, my favorite. are like, here's your plate versus here's all the plates. Yeah. You know, that's the way I think about it. But right now we, um, you know, we're self-funded. So we're just running these 10 gallon pots, but we have 90 of them in there. And I think I have enough soil to, to run beds. I've traditionally run beds like outdoors and stuff and had wonderful success, but um, I've seen crazy fast nutrient leaching with CO2 supplementation and really high LED wattage that needs to be replaced. And I'm turning back to liquid organic fertilizers to, to do that, um, which is wild because outdoors, you just don't see that in these giant pots or giant, you know, giant soil. Beds. I, 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 did I catch you? You're saying like, you're saying, were you saying that the increased CO2 is pulling out so much that you, you feel like you have to put in? Oh, dude, the CO2 drives the plants. Like when I keep my CO2 around 1500 parts per million, it drives the plants so much harder. They have mm. faster production and quicker sure. nutrient depletion. I, oh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an, it, it, most folks don't realize, but I'm an indoor grower. 
um, that's, that's, that grows in greenhouse and outdoor now. And, and, you know, so I, I, am used to running CO2 and shit. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't anymore. Cause I'm, I'm just breeding, you know, so my doors are, are just open air. Like I just, I just, but I used to like have all, you know, 50 lights sealed, all sealed rooms and, you know, mm-hmm. everything. And, um, anyways, I, I never felt that I had to really add too much, you know, or, or I did. And when I did, I would have problems because I would have too much shit in there. You know what I mean? Um, like too much sugar is coming out in the plants because I have everything. I think, and were you running beds or pots when you were doing that? Beds. beds. See, and that's, and that's why, because you're giving the buffet and I'm running these pots. So it's like, but yeah. and we're switching to beds on this next run because of, you know, some of these. Even, even, and so here's my theory, dude. And I understand that the, the, the financial thing, I'm not, I mean, I, I get it totally. That's I'm almost my decisions are financially driven, but like even a shallow bed and having more roots to bed, you know, let's say you have, t- you're doing four, 10 gallons per light, you know, just put it in a bed, you know, even though it's shallow and whatever, they still get to fuck with each other in it, in it. It, it's oh no it was the bill it was actually <clears throat> so soil now that we're planned i it was the building costs of the material the bed, itself the material yeah. Material. yeah yeah versus like these pots that i bought on amazon for like you know like a dollar ten cents each and like, yeah yeah we've been I running this grow bags dude i do that too so i understand yeah, the plastic yeah. grow bags that's what i've always that. done dude like for a million years we just outdoors we just you know the bigger the bag the the less you water and you're good to go but 10 gallon pots inside it's bare minimum dude like i wish i were dude i set this facility up with no reservoirs because i'm used to top dressing and watering so i have no reservoir so so you had to on the back end figure it out dude so now like just the other day i went to brandon's and i bought a freaking 270 gallon cube reservoir that i'm gonna pipe into the room and hook up to a pump and stuff but basically i just need to get liquid microbes and liquid phosphorus and um but this is sort of all based on these you know what you know what uh, is a really cool way and cheap way to do this that i stumbled upon and now is it's like base of how i do shit is i have a small aquaponics system uh 500 gallons is is really all you need of water and uh, and just then you you're really using the filter and you're harnessing the you know the 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 fish poop and then rebrewing it and you have all your nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium all right in there. It's like pretty, pretty simple and chill and costs like, you know, 500 bucks. You can have a badass system, you know, to, to, to be sucking nutrients yeah. and brewing. Um, what kind of, <laughs> what's your NPK, bro? Mine? Oh, his. No, no, his. Yeah, it's, it's a joke to incorporate you. But, 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 yeah, but yeah. for real, like what kind of numbers do you see on, you know, on, tests and how much are you using that kind of supplemental aquaponics in the, system? in the beginning in the beginning of my bed creation in my greenhouses because i i did a typical coots mix or you know the third third whatever like style mm-hmm. with some i'm fucking with you bro calm down <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought it yeah, no. so yeah we like all did that, it three-way mix and you know that we've been doing forever and then i i supplemented this kind of compost fish poop compost tea thing for once a week for two or three years um and i i was doing soil tests back then now i don't do any soil tests i'm not recommending that i'm just kind of like become one because of you're loose, breeding and stuff loosey goosey chef that i can get away yeah. with it and i, I don't it, and i'm not measuring weight at the end of the day i'm not filling my house up anymore you know what i mean i'm, I'm 
doing what I'm doing. Um, I was just a, a, a garden. Um, but yeah. I can I can still visually. That's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling, but I can I know what's yeah. going on, and I can I know what's right. coming out because I've run these exactly. cultivars forever, and I'm like, this is the best goddamn yeah. weed I've ever grown, and I'm doing right. less and less and less. And I haven't yeah. added that, honestly, added that fish poop stuff for over a year or two. I, yeah. If anything, the only thing I do to uh, help myself out a little bit is a fulvic acid foliar. Mm -hmm. okay. That's about it. You know, and that's, that's I, like, you know, okay, if I, if I have mm -hmm. some stunted plants that I'm transplanting, I'll run, I'll transplant them, I'll hit them once or twice with that fulvic, just to kind of give them the, get them, get them jump started. And then I don't fuck with it. I, sometimes they don't water. Like I get away with fucking goddamn murder because, and this, my theory is, cause I, I'm not testing anymore is I built up such a diverse microbial base and such a diverse nutrient right. load. That, Diversity. That just, yeah. yeah. There's so much there, you know what? That's and, it. And, and if anything, I, I probably do, do need to add some silica. And I have started adding that a little bit here and there. And it's because my rice holes broke down, you know, years right. ago. Right. Yeah, they don't last. Long. Um, I no. wanted to mention you, you touched on something I think is important. And unfortunately, the company's been sold a couple of times in the last couple of years. But Dr. Faust, when he was running things over at BioAg, he had some links to some really incredible work out of uh, Poland. And one of them were diagrams of a humic acid molecule. And then uh, another uh, diagram of a fulvic acid molecule. And you could clearly see that it would be impossible to, uh, for a, a, a leaf on the underside, the stomata, to take in a molecule of that size. But the fulvic acid is like perfect for uh, fulvic, uh, excuse me, for foliar application. Keep in mind that it's going to be absorbed through the bottom of the leaf. So make that your focus of when you're applying the. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know that it was only coming through the bottom. Actually, that, that makes me yeah. feel kind of stupid. It's, it's the called majority the stomata. The stomata. Yeah, yeah, majority. There are some on top too. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point too. When anytime I use any kind of like organic pesticide or foliar feed, I'm always aiming at interacting with open stomata. So stomata right. open in the morning and in the evening. Um, and, they close okay. during the heat of the day. That's really an important distinction because sunlight deconstructs hydrocarbon molecules. So we want to spray the plants as close to dusk as we, we you know, as you can, because it's going to uh, stick to the leaves longer and be effective. Whereas if we spray in the morning, as soon as the sun comes up, the party begins as far as deconstructing these molecules. I disagree. I disagree. No, See, no that's I, science. No, no, no. I understand that perspective and why it would motivate you to spray in the evening instead of the morning. But yeah. um, the stomata, you, if you get out there, there's this, the twilight, right? When it's like hour and a half of blue light. If you yeah. get out there right as soon as you can see, that pesticide is going to sit up. First of all, if, if you have wet plants overnight, you're, potential for PM and, and botrytis goes up. So that's the main, main reason I would avoid. That's why I don't spray at night, but plenty of people have success with it, but um, the re that's one reason. And then the other reason is we can, we can interact with the stomata at a more like, you know, reasonable time in the morning when, um, when it's not so 
hot and you know then the, the plants can dry up so we interact with the open stomata so they can potentially translaminarly take in this pesticide or foliar which means they take it into their leaf through the stomata and then they close when the when the light starts and when the light starts the pesticide degrades anyway or the foliar degrades anyway because uv pretty much breaks down whatever you sprayed on there anyway and and so for those for those reasons i like the morning but you know i, I switch depending on because i'm in the greenhouse now mostly um so depending upon the time of year like I, ideally in this i like i feel like the plants respond best when i'm able to spray in the summer in the evening and they get to have they get to be wet a little bit longer and we have these very late evenings mm -hmm. here I'm, I'm in northwest washington so i'm really high you know in, in latitude um Versus in the winter, I spray in the mornings because I don't want the plants to be wet at night, you know, overnight in those in those colder temps and stuff. So I definitely hit it in the mornings, and, and, and then we have a lot longer morning too in the winters, right? Yeah. So um, it makes you know, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, really, that's 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 ideal. You know, a strict strategy of one way or the other, I think, is, is indoors really too indoors rigid. Probably, I would indoors, I would probably err towards uh, the morning, or not err. I'd probably choose the morning. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have the sealed environment. That's, I guess, you know, that's part of it, but that's just what I've always done too. You know, I used to get up, you know, once a week, if, if bugs were around and we were, you know, hit them with neem or whatever we were using at the time. And, and uh, you know, pyrethrin, neem, BT, uh, stuff oil X is a new one we've added. You know, you can grow the mum uh, that produce uh, pyrethrum, right? Yeah, the totally. Yeah, the, the variety. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just we we've experimented with um, with what do they call them um, companion plants and all that and right we found not too effective, was, are they? No. Yeah, we found it was more mm. labor than it was worth, and then I'll tell you, know, you what works is green lace wings if you, for mites. Okay. Heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, these things are like piranha. I the forget larvae. how many. Mm -hmm. Oh, the larvae. Yeah. And what's really good, if and it's not difficult to learn, but if you apply with a paintbrush some sugar water to some leaves, you can encourage the adults to lay their eggs back in your garden so you have a perpetual pesticide program going on uh with the uh larva from the uh from the them breeding the, once they turn adult um it's, have you seen any pests that like that sugar water at all no okay that was my only. i mean be, because i mean the adults lay their eggs and then your plants are crawling with uh <laughs> lacewing larva just the hotel eating. room is full Nobody oh, else is, is coming in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what, that's our strategy in flowers. We just fill the room with beneficials. So like I'll scout the property and I saw some thrips, you know, I'll see some russet mites. We might throw some right. Andersoni or some cucumeris. Oh, you didn't know about russet mites? There's a new. I've never heard of them. <laughs> no. Uh, you can, if you hit them with a compost tea, it has to, excuse me, an aerated compost tea, an ACT. Yes. It will destroy russet and broad mites. Okay. He's being sarcastic for those of you that are. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, okay. I mean, a Thank worldwide God. renowned expert. 
Um, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Uh-huh. And, and what is this compost tea brewer? Well, it's an airlift. So you can't use Vortex anywhere because that's not cool. We moved beyond just the aerated stone. Then we went to Vortex. And now we're doing airlifts. And uh, we'll have to do something groovy, you know, in the next cycle. But, uh, yeah, all you got to do is just hit them, uh, those mites with that old compost tea, and it'll just wipe them right out. I believe the new one's inverted vortex for uh, your company. Is it inverted? Vortex? Inverted yeah. vortex. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Sounds like something that a proctologist does to you <laughs> during an exam. There he is. Finally found a good, a good video of those lace wings. Decent one, anyway. Yeah. They're sad. That's a lace wing for... feeding on a root aphid. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. Look at that. I mean, they're, they're great like for piranha. larger, larger yeah. pests like that. Um, it's always important to think about the size of what you're going after compared to the size of your predator, because like praying mantis will not eat a russet mite. And right. people oftentimes think that they get praying mantis and their garden has a lion in it and it's safe, but it's just not the case. You need no. You the need other, and you know, the worst approach. one is ladybugs ladybugs because they have they're mobile and as soon as they eat they're on to the next garden where the larva from the lace wing they can't fly they all they can do is crawl so they last a lot longer a lot more effective i don't think that that that, that we we have you know uh found a beneficial that can control russets. At least that's what I've been told. Oh, is that right? Is that yeah. right? Preventatively, there's, some, yeah. there's some that will like on aware. it. Like if yeah. Anderson, you know, my, my, friend, my, my friend Suzanne, she's mm -hmm. a uh, she's a the biggest nerd on this, and so she'll like go and, and Wayne, collect them. Yeah, Wayne Suzanne, Wright, Wayne like, Wright Evans. Yeah, yeah, she'll study them under a microscope and watch them. She's like, these motherfuckers don't. You know, they might even take a nibble, but they're you know they're not coming in to predate. You know, I and, think uh, it's dude, the way that I've there heard was even her a time when, when, she, when she, she sold Andersonite or, or recommended it uh -huh. to me, you know, I remember. And then she came back and said, no, you know, we, we found that they okay. were eating, but we don't control, you know. But what about the, the idea of filling the hotel room? You know, you, you, if you have this this thing that could potentially eat something else like in other words like if i understand were... the concept and i've tried I've, I've tried like right like when they recommend x amount of bugs per area i like quadruple you Me know too. Eight, right? but i've and had success with it i i have not with russets always the only thing, the, the the only thing yeah. with russets there it took me a long time of just having to hit that subfoil x twice a week yeah and, so in veg you, know I mean? you better be spraying yeah, yeah in veg, so. better be spraying but dude, what about, you know, in flower? I mean, that's why sealed room is important. You know, there's in flower, IPM gets really challenging. It's called just make sure your workers don't- You know it's helpful? That's, that, <laughs> it's mostly a worker deal. Uh, in a, in I a have zero deal. employees and that helps, but, you know. Yeah, I have, I actually have uh, tens of thousands. They're called worms. That's my employees. That's my workforce. So, I think you're underpaying them, Jim. Yes. I still maintain 
Well, uh, aside from the show, you and I have a conversation because on the difference between a foliar spray for fertilizing and a foliar spray for pesticide and as a fungicide, there's a difference in how the plant treats the two materials. So we'll do that another time. Anyway. Not, not necessarily. There, there's a lot of uh, similar similarities there. And, and all, all we mean is compounds translaminarly um, entering the leaf and, and then. Yes. Being broken and what down I'm trying to explain is that neem does not enter the, the uh, stomata of the plant. It's no, but the constituents, topical. the constituents as it breaks down do. Um, that's one of the benefits. But the of that's what I'm trying to explain. The constituents are hydrocarbons. They're broken down by sunlight. I didn't make that up. Yeah, they, no, I, they, I don't think. They, they completely disappear in a matter of under two hours. Yeah, I mean, as soon as the plant intakes it it breaks it down and as soon as the sun hits no, it it breaks it down no, no, there's no, there's no, no, no. i wanted to point out in this video so if you watch once the aphids detect the wasps he starts freaking out and shaking his ass in the air he's trying to warn the other ones oh wow i've seen that yep that's a predatory that's, that's the oh shit we're all we're all screwed yeah <laughs> that's yeah, the hyenas every, laughing every one of us in on this conversation has i'm sure at one point sprayed too much neem oil and and burnt and killed some plants yeah right yeah. So I, I, I maybe i misunderstood what you were just saying about it burning what i'm saying it. is wow. that to, to if you want to if you want the neem oil or whatever uh you know mineral oil, oil that you know what it doesn't matter okay sunlight deconstructs these very simple uh yeah molecules There's, so you guys are talking are about is, two different but, things you guys are talking about two different things josh is talking about what happens when the sunlight hits a wet oil and burns the plant and coot is talking about what happens when the 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 neem is actually dry and those those constituent dry materials from the neem oil are broken down as hydrocarbons and then what I'm talking about is actually that translaminar breakdown uh, inside the plant that happens with enzymes and the plant, you know, the plant can actually, as soon as that material comes in, it breaks it down. But that brief period that it's inside that leaf acts, it, it benefits the plant and us as the farmer as a pesticide. I misunderstood what you were saying. That's correct. Right, right. I know. I just had to, okay. I had to shove it down your throat a little. Oh, that's all right. I, I can handle it. I've been, I've been, I've been called worse. You, know? you love me. The biggest, the yeah. biggest thing is just to clean your clones when you're doing your clones to making sure that you're dipping them in a mineral oil solution and and making sure they're coming out clean, and then just deep cleaning your room. So I like to use uh, UVC lights and move them around a couple of different places to make sure I'm fully nuking that entire room for any mold spores or anything else that might have evaded our detection. Uh, and then the other thing too is just gassing the room, leaving one of those lights on overnight just to gas the room out with O3 because UVC lights do a really good job of generating a ozone and you can make sure that there's nothing living left in that room. You know, ants, mice, uh, mm -hmm. anyone breaking in. It works good for all those things. Mm. Yeah, room full of ozone will stop just about anything that's living. So you actually moved to Oklahoma? 
Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Just don't, just get out of there. Yeah. Just, what's that? What'd you say? What do you, what do you think I'm going to Thailand? Did you say actually? Exact opposite time zone of the planet. <laughs> I like that name, AT, or the logo, ATG Acres. Aaron the Grower. Yeah, he put on a great show when I, uh, Peter at uh, Future Cannabis Project. He brought in the heavies. Uh, this woman who's had a 25-year career of uh, slamming compost teas and the people that promote them. Uh, she's a, a big-time professor up at University of Washington, Puyallup. So it, then it got personal years ago. It's kind of funny, really. Uh, but, yeah, she's been all over the Internet. Uh, YouTube, the university published several of her uh, videos about how to uh, feed plants and how to, you know, just all the things that we talk about, but from a, a, her position as a uh, professor of botany at the uh, University of Washington. So, yeah, you got it. You really assembled a white uh, Steve Diver from uh, University of Kentucky. Yep. The yeah, so that was pretty cool. He had a great presentation at the KNF um, symposium, which is floating around somewhere on YouTube. See, before years ago, he was worked for this office that was in USDA NOP, and it would help farmers move from traditional, excuse me, conventional through transitional, and then final certified organic. Uh, their farms and it was called Atra, but I couldn't tell you what it stood for. But anyway, that was the agency that's that's where I met Steve Diver years ago. So he was always interesting to talk to because he was doing soil building and not potting soil, but you know, like farm type stuff, uh, uh, soil building over multi year upper, you know, cover crops and that kind of thing. Someone in chat says, I've heard about ozone and UVC. The ozone scares me. How long do I have to stay out of the house after running ozone? So if you're running ozone like in your house just to kill mice or bugs or mold or whatever, and you rent one of the units from like Lowe's or Home Depot, you just run it overnight. You go get a hotel for the night, you know, set it up at whatever time in the evening. It's going to run for, you know, six or whatever, eight hours or whatever. Gas out the house and then you just come and open the front door, open the back door let it air out for a bit and you're good to go. It's, it's not, it's not that crazy. Just don't be in there. No fish tanks, no pets, no, none of that stuff. No, no, no canary in the mine thing or what? Yeah. Now, if you hear that someone's going to break into your facility on a certain day, it can also be yeah. a convenient time to clean your facility. Allegedly. <laughs> I got to um, dip out for the night guys, but uh pleasure chatting. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Um, Likewise, brother. I, th I think I did catch that show a while back and remembered it twisted my panties in a knot when she was talking shit about compost tea. But I also remember enjoying the show too. So yeah, you definitely know what you're talking about. So it was nice talking, man. Likewise, brother. Yeah, um, good evening. <clears throat> good one. Someone mentioned about PM spores. Yeah, the UVC lights are great for that, just for covering all the 
every last square inch of your room to make sure you didn't miss anything and hmm. a little easier than spraying a room down. Just don't um, look at them when they're on. <laughs> yeah, I just with the kid, because we live on the facility, I stay away. I stayed away from it. We um, we looked at a light that has a hmm. sensor that when it uh, when the door is open, um, it, it cuts off or and and if it's going to oh, uh, turn on there's like a tw there's like a two minute alarm so you can get wow. out of there cool nice that's, that's really nice but we didn't we didn't end up going with it it's like you know with the kid and everything who knows what's going to happen i just didn't want her hey, to be exposed uh some people on the west coast i don't know if this is universal when it came to buying leds for their commercial licensed operations the local power company um what's the word okay That's so right. like say the unit was 800 dollars, they covered like 500 of it the power companies subsidized uh, subsidized thank you thank yeah, that's so, the word so does that go on in uh oklahoma uh, uh there's in municipalities i think you know if you're like in a city okay. gotcha. there's there's offerings for stuff like that but out in well, the middle you know California yeah. right now, you can get 100% rebates on bigger facilities right now, at least for the next however many months. And you said you had 1,500 watt lights? A uh, thousand watt. I have 15 of them. Oh, oh okay. That's still a shitload. I mean, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And we, like I said, we run on them. We start them at like 400 watts and we crank them all the way up to like 850, 860. I get you. Okay. I haven't pushed up that high, higher than that yet. Yeah, a lot different than a HPS from 2010. It you know what I mean? <laughs> different, man. The, yeah, the yeah. heat, the heat struggle. Well, that alone, are yeah, that's not the same. Yeah, no, it's a whole different paradigm. I mean, completely. I didn't think it would be that dramatic until I saw it with my own two eyes, and I called Jeremy. I said, "I want one of those." Dude, yeah. it's wild. I talked to this guy. He's a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. MJ Coco, and he's a lighting expert, tests them, and, you know, works works on that and has a website with all that. And and he was like, dude, this is the way to go. If you have a square-ish room, put all the lights up high, crank them up, you know, as high as you need to, and uh, they'll never be in your way. And you'll never have to run them, <clears throat> run them full right. tilt either. Right, and that's right. the key with LEDs is you want to run, you don't want to run them full tilt or your diodes are stressed and they die soon. And so you, you know, you want to run your, your LEDs at 80%, you know, just like a electrical panel you, and, or an electrical outlet, you know, nothing right. should ever, you know, you don't want to stress electronics or electrical systems. Right. Yeah. yeah it's been a learning. I've only had them up and running now let's see on the outside three weeks um and yeah it's been a learning experience for sure you always want to make sure you put a redundancy and especially at a home grow put sub panels for each room you know make sure that you have separate panels from your main panel so that if there is a problem you know you can have multiple failures before you actually have a serious problem oh, listen i'm mr grow. small time I got a four by four with a, that LED uh, thing. And then I got a three by four with a bar LED 
400 watts, I think. Same company, Timber, and they're inline four lights. Uh, but like for seedlings, God damn, talk about getting them up and running because I'm trying to find some males. And so I started 20 seeds and I couldn't believe how big they got, how fast they got big. Um, with, with LEDs, it's, it's the name of the game is intensity. Yes. So it's, it's just yes. driving that, that envelope as hard as you can. Well, here's my thoughts on this uh, LED on the small one. I don't ever want to hear the terms T5 again, because mm -hmm. a T5 cannot under any circumstances come close to a goddamn LED, man, as far right. as getting a seedling up and moving and grooving, you know, to Moon Age Child kind of thing. T5s, so you know, 100. Oh, go ahead. If you have a T5 fixture, you can actually get really nice LED um, replacement bulbs for them now. Um, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. I run those in my dry room actually just so happened to like, I had, you know, T5s are everywhere because I'm a grower and why buy a new fixture just for a dry room? So yeah, I run those LEDs up there and they're not hot and you know, it's a dry room. It can't no. be, uh, can't be hot. So no, they're yep. wonderful. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, they shoot, can be a great I... way, especially if you already have the hardware to, to adapt it to something that's going to run a lot less power. I remember what I was going to say. Um, I have a connection with uh, Metagrow 420, which are the lights that I use in my grow room. Uh -huh. So if anybody's interested in acquiring them, I have wholesale pricing. I'm, I'm a rep for their company, so I can oh, cool. fucking hook anybody up. Yeah, with bueno. Really, bueno. And they're, yeah, they're solid lights, man. The people that are running them right now that I've already sold them to are like, holy shit, I can't, you know, they can't run them full full swing in there no, which is a good thing there's no That's way what you want. yeah i couldn't believe that you could actually bleach a plant not from heat but with light i mean it was really like uh holy crap gotta back this mother off so uh yeah yeah i've seen uh poetry of plants nelson he's uh he was running his lights at his uh Gosh, he was 15, uh, shoot, I can't remember what the, the par re reading is, it's it's late, but it's uh, uh, maybe 15 or 150 or something, whatever that right. meter, um, and just super high numbers and um, also really high CO2, and he was getting these pink tips that were, they were both sunbeam. And, and ultra high in THC. Wow. So it was really interesting. Yeah, those pink uh, do you have an Apogee uh, par meter? I know you do. Five hundred. I don't. I use, a, okay. I, use, I use a pulse for mine. And it's a, okay. it's a spectrum yeah. and par and does everything. Yeah. When that, I was told that, oh, you need an Apogee par meter. I said, really? Well, uh, where do you get those? I was told. So I went and looked at him and I went, $550 to tell me how much light's coming out of this goddamn overpriced light. Dude, Coot, listen, Christ, you man. can fucking, you don't need that. That's great. It's a, more convenient than what I use, but it's what I use is it's you pay 500 bucks and you get this thing. That's it's got the VPD, the temperature, the humidity, CO2, 
and it oh, all yeah. it graphs it all out for you, dude. You'll turn into a super mm. nerd. I know you're an old guy, but you're gonna turn in you're yeah, you're okay. a nerd at heart, and you're gonna yeah. see all this data and go, oh gosh, it's so cool. That and now I have to learn how to good. use a spreadsheet so I can plot it all, you know, and so I can analyze it, you know, graphs and you know, yeah, I got it. I see where this is going. This got disaster written all over it. You'll survive though. You'll survive. Uh, I want to talk about soil, but anyway. Hey, it was good seeing you, brother. Glad uh, things are going well. I'm glad you got your family in a better place, and uh, you know you're moving forward. Good, good to hear for sure. Thanks, dude. It's good to hear your voice. I sh- we sure do miss you, and uh, hope to uh, connect with you again soon. You bet, man. And uh, good night to you, Wes. Good night to you, Steve. And uh, peace, man. On, Appreciate you guys you take care. Bye, bye. Awesome. Always awesome Always. to have Coop. Yeah, Always he's awesome. Coop pops, pops on. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, I don't know if we have any more questions from the chat or anything else we want to uh, cover. Sure. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention here? Um, how can people find your stuff out here when uh, Metric isn't uh, hating you? Um, yeah, so follow me on Instagram. It's the best way. The, the weed sells out really fast. So um, it tends to be like you, when I make a drop, I'll post it on Instagram and then you'll have a couple of days to go buy it. Um, and we drop at, we make drops in Oklahoma city and Tulsa. Um, right now you can find my product at in Oklahoma city. You can find my product at puffy dispensary, um, as well as Cush Hills, and a few other places there might be a couple other places that still have some blue cookies but if i said that they have it i might be oh maybe painted pistols shout out painted pistols these guys are in chickasha um which is like really close to where i'm at and they uh, they do really great work and they sell a lot of my weed and people seem to enjoy it um in that area as well so um, I do want to get to a point where I can post on the website, but um, I'm not too technically savvy yet. So, but eventually I'll be posting that on the website as well. But um, for the most part, follow me on Instagram, ATG Acres, um, and, uh, and you'll be able to see all that. And, oh, and I will be selling these seeds as part of the preservation project. Um, it's basically just going to be cost of shipping plus whatever takes me to get to the post office to send it to you and you know plus the time that it takes to do all that but um we're gonna be releasing like i said maybe four to six different varieties based on different traits Um, i'll make that available on my website which is atgacres.com and i will post on my instagram about the uh, oh this was a really cool one the carcass post but um (laughs) Yeah, these plants are doing really well next to this this old, maybe six month old dead carcass, cattle carcass, and uh, the ones that were further away were not as healthy, not as green. So, really interesting to see animal drop compost kind of going on. Some uh, purple variegation there potentially, but as we've discussed, it may actually be tobacco mosaic virus. Well, it's usually it usually ends up being cucumber or alfalfa, but that doesn't right, look sorry. like it. That that so we can go back to that. So see how this is just one color. 
Mm-hmm. That's not usually the mosaic virus. Mosaic virus usually expresses with streakiness, and you'll have like three to five to six different color le- layers. Um, so this doesn't look like that at all. This is something else entirely. And it's on the same plant as the ones that that exhibit the mosaic virus, which you know, whichever type it might be. Looks good. Either way, and hey, if it's not affecting you. Um, there's yeah you got some great looking flower here and definitely some yeah i'm gonna breed it i'm basically gonna take the strains that i like that potentially have it i'm just gonna breed them thank you those are great thank you i'm like that's the pink lemonade coming down here soon yeah that's the that's the stuff with the the mosaic Again, yeah, it, yep, and like that's mostly, mostly you know water only. I fed them a couple of times. Yeah, looks great, man. And, I can, and I've had a chance yeah. to smoke some of his stuff here at Turf Float, and it was really wonderful. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad I got to share it with you. Um, yeah, I should probably get going here, and um, I super appreciate you uh, having me on here, and and it was cool to get to connect with Coot, and, uh, and you know see you and meet you Wes and yeah it's nice uh, virtually meeting you too man virtually meeting you definitely uh looking forward to seeing you again here are you going out to harvest fest this weekend no I'm not gonna make it dude I'm uh swamped with harvest ironically um harvested cuvee cookies two or three days ago then we have pink lemonade what you just saw in that video coming down the day after tomorrow and then some sour coming down shortly thereafter it's just it's a rough time but i'm gonna try and get out to an event at the end of the month um in tulsa i'll i'll uh i'll holler at you see where you're at and maybe we can link up i'm taking off on the 26th so oh okay are you i think this is the 23rd 24th okay sounds good um so might snag you right before you go but uh anyway thanks for having me guys Great. Thanks for coming, man. And uh, if you guys want to check them out again, atgacres.com or atgacres on Instagram if you're listening to this in audio format. Thanks for Thank coming, you guys. Awesome guests. Appreciate it. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap up the show here. Um, if anyone's uh, looking to check out uh, more of him, again, uh, atgacres.com uh, or at atgacres. Uh, also, be sure to check out our other show, um, yeah, man. Dat Smoke Show, uh, which is on Wednesdays. It's a little more laid back, a little more uh, fluid in terms of topics. And we have a whole bunch of crazy yeah, guests. We had uh, Scotty Reel on last week. We had, uh, or yesterday, uh, we had Breeder Steve the week before. We had um, Brendan Rust is there, um, Chad Westport, uh, Hota Herbs, Dutch Blooms, myself, um, captain 420 uh monkey from high on homegrown uh west engine so it's really kind of a a colorful cast of characters that we have there it's a a lot of fun it's been really good really good really fun shows yeah yeah definitely come hang out um once in a while we'll uh we'll uh, throw the invites out as well so come hang out it's a really good time and i don't know just a little more a little different format so on this show we try to stay on the science should i talk about 
growing and um, try to stick more on topic on the other show it's more of a fluid hey whatever topic is cool we try to touch on like cannabis news i kind of go through and spend about half an hour going through different news articles or an hour uh, in terms of cannabis news articles each week so that if there's anything important at least you guys are aware of it Uh, and then we just kind of have fun we talk about all kinds of crazy stuff so and then again i will be gone we probably won't have a show on the 28th of uh of september because i'll be traveling but hopefully the week after that um i'll be back online if not it'll be a week after uh, that but uh wes is going to actually take over for the other show um so that at least that smoke show will be uh on its regularly scheduled programming uh, and it'll just be the show that is going to be off for a week or two there when i when i transition over to thailand here uh, at the end of the month awesome how does everybody find you there wes well, then you can find me on what, on Instagram at West Engine is probably the best place. And uh, you should probably check out all of our guests as well that we're on here today. Uh, Coot's a little harder to find. He doesn't really have any uh, any social media. But uh, everyone else, uh, everyone else, make sure you give them a follow. Um, how, what is the best place for people to find you, Bowden? Sure. Uh, again, on Wednesdays, you can find us at Dat Smoke Show. Check it out. Subscribe. Like. Uh, help us grow the channel. Tell your friends. Uh, and then you can also, if you need aquaponic cannabis nutrients, apmjnutes.com uh, will take you over to our nutrient website. We have grow kits, uh, depending on the gallons of your system and how many weeks of veg and flour that you need. Uh, and then we also have our aquaponic and living soil pest control course over at thepestclass.com. Uh, and then we have our aquaponic cannabis class at apmjclass.com. So be sure to check those out if you're looking for additional education. Um, we'll actually have a bunch of cool new stuff uh, from this build out over in Thailand here in the next month or two. Uh, I'm going to start introducing that stuff, um, you know, kind of as I finish filming and editing and uh, uh, while I'm there. So uh, looking forward to that. And I think you guys are going to have a, a really good time uh, following all that stuff. Yeah, man. Awesome. And you can find this show at SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the things uh, at Potent Ponics or Growing With Fishes. Uh, thanks, everybody. We have a some cool guests. So I think Brendan Russ might be on next week. We're going to talk to him in a, in a testing lab. We're kind of going to going to break down some of the myths about bricks and bricks making your plants immune because there's some videos out lately that are uh, extremely misleading to people. And I think we need to kind of address that in a more scientific way. So we're going to probably cover that next week. But uh, we'll see. I'm going to try and cram in a couple of the cool interviews while I'm still in the States. So if we do a, a, a day here on a Monday or Tuesday or something off, uh, uh from our normal thursday uh that's why i'm trying to cram in a couple of people i can still get them on a reasonable time zone uh, and then after that we'll still be on a normal time so when i go to thailand uh, it'll just be the same exact time it'll just be in the morning the following day so um, i'll have to schedule my mornings around that but i think it, it should not be too much of a problem Alrighty, guys thanks a lot for watching and we will catch you guys again here next week